With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, the 2024 season is just around the corner and it's not too long until the covers are going to be taken off of the cars and we'll see what the liveries are like ahead of the 2024 season. And just a few days ago, news was dropped upon us that Haas were going to be having a new team principal with Gunter Steiner no longer keeping his role there and somebody else stepping in to take his place. Well, I'm Bryn Lucas and here we are at Autosport International, the Birmingham NEC, for a very special live Autosport recording for you all. And I'm being joined by two very, very special guests, Autosport's own Alex Kalanorkas and Jake Boxall leg It's great to have you both here. Have you both been around the show yet or not? Yeah, we have. Uh, in fact, we enjoyed a good half an hour wandering around just before we sat down and thought, prepare some notes for this podcast, as uh, everybody in the audience should be able to see. My handwriting is so terrible, I had to put it on my mobile phone. JBL able to go old school with his, uh, with his uh, notebook. But yeah, really interesting seeing the hypercars for the first time. I've, I've never seen any of them in the flesh. And um, yeah, they're, they're sort of, they're more basic than what I was expecting. I don't know, I sort of seen pictures of them and they look very dynamic and very exciting, but I just really enjoyed that LMP1 era of uh, of sports car racing or, or the top level of sports car racing. And just looking at the Ferrari, it just, yeah, it surprised me how clean and simplistic the uh, the arrow is, which, you know, is fair enough. That's what they want in a cost-effective formula. So that, that was sort of the highlight, I would say. He's uh, a tough nut to crack, isn't he? He's hard to impress. Alex, what about you, JBL? Uh, I always like going around the engineering bit. So like, this is the first time I've been here since 2020. Um, so yeah, it's nice to kind of go around, see if there's anyone I know. Haven't seen anyone I know this year, but um, yeah, it's always good fun to just sort of wander around, taking the sights and uh, yeah, get to it. Enjoy it. Aww. Oh, never mind. We'll move swiftly on then. Now, <laughs> Alex, the news dropped just a few days ago and there were a lot of concerned faces around here I can tell you as to whether or not Gunter Steiner was going to be showing up to the show he did and he put on a really really good performance in front of a very very big crowd but he was at house for 10 years um a team that he helped found as well what led do you think to the decision for Haas and Gunter Steiner to to part ways the way they did so there's two narratives two explanations going on one is what Gene Haas team owner is saying and for him, 
quoting directly from the interview he gave to F1.com, it came down to performance, that the team finishing last last year, the fact that it hasn't won or even been on the podium in, what, 160-odd races of competition was unacceptable, and therefore he felt, as is his want, he wanted to make a change. Um, but the other side of it that's already out there, and I, you know, good to Steiner, I heard him speak earlier on on stage today. I was also very lucky afterwards to go and sit down for 20 minutes with him and and, and get a, a sort of a one-to-one in-depth interview. And the other side of it is that it wasn't, it wasn't just that things suddenly became unacceptable. There was clearly a, a breakdown in what two sides of the, the leadership at Haas were expecting. So Steiner was in, you know, in, 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 the, in the side of, in the camp of more resources are needed, more money. We need to invest in our facilities, particularly the team factory in Banbury, uh, just getting its IT infrastructure, things like that. All the, all the critical little bits that on you know they're not like it's not like headline news it's not it's not gonna you know things you don't care about when you when you see racing cars in action right in terms of just like that's not the thing that you go to a grand prix to see you don't think about the the laptops and whatever back of the factory but it's that sort of element that under a cost cap the other teams as soon as that came in they were like right here we go this is our chance to we've just got to keep evolving keep doing that Steiner's position was that needs to happen. And Gene Hassel was saying, well, I've already spent all my money. Well, not all my money, but I've already spent enough of my money. Why would I need to, to put any more in? Make do with what you've got. There was clearly a, a, a split in the direction of the team as a result of that. And pushed hang to shove and Hass called his shot and Stein is gone. I think um, it was interesting chatting to him. He's obviously, he's very, he's just such a charismatic character and he's very unflappable. That he's just sort of saying, look, because I said, you know, well, you, the things break down between you. He said, no, there was no breakdown. There was no falling out. He said, I could get upset, but I'm, I'm not being upset because there's nothing I can do. It's, it's, it's Gene's team. It's, it's his decision. Uh, and also, I think Steiner, you know, he's got a very successful composite business outside of Formula One. He's not exactly going to be, you know, on hard times. And he just seems pretty, pretty cool and chilled about it. And, and, and that's, that's nice to see. I think Formula One were to never come back would be a much poorer place uh, without him but I think we will see him back I think he's already saying he's already had offers not necessarily to be another team principal but that certainly see on the media side of it he could uh, he could be popping out and around um but yeah let's let, let's let's see let's see where he ends up in the long term yeah it was uh it was a surprising decision because he, you know he's Mr. Haas isn't he uh what well, was um, as Alex says, such a charismatic... Gene Haas is Mr. Haas, <laughs> just to be very clear. Throw up. Um, what was I saying? Something about Gunther Steiner. Yeah, obviously, it, it, yeah, it will be a big loss to Formula 1 because I think I overheard somebody say, you know, he's the main character on Drive to Survive now. And uh, the idea of uh, the series going over this year without him in it, it'll be very, very strange indeed. So I think we've got to look at it for, from that perspective... That's not something that that has necessarily wanted to align with. They want to do things a different way. Stein doesn't agree. And now we've got Ayao Komatsu in the role of team principal, which is going to bring a very different dynamic to the team. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on uh, in the new role. Clearly him and Gene Haas were very, very aligned on on what they wanted to do. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how the team goes on sort of post or if you will. He was a huge character. When we talk about him, like he's no longer with us, but he was, he, he was a huge character in Formula One. And as you say, it's, it, it's odd for a team principal to be bigger than the team. And arguably, Gunter Steiner is bigger than the team Haas. When you think of Haas, you think Gunter Steiner. 
you don't think necessarily the other way around, but that's just the way it is. I think in one way, Haas has just jettisoned its biggest asset. For example, there's going to be a lot of people out there who are going to think, why do I care about this team now? It's not getting the big results and it's not got the character that they enjoyed on Drive to Survive and enjoyed his all, in all his regular uh, appearances. So, um, yeah, it, I can also see the other side of it from Gene Hass's point of view that if results weren't going the way he wanted, he wanted to make a change. But yeah, just, 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 just feels odd. And there's just been a lot of team principal churn. I think, isn't it Mike Crack at Aston Martin? He's now the third longest serving team principal, which just shows you how much things have changed and how different that is to how things used to be in previous eras. What we do know for sure is that the beep button, the bleep button, is going to be required a lot less this season in 2024. Let's have a look then, uh, JBL, at this replacement. So you mentioned him quite a, a moment ago, Komatsu, who brings vast technical knowledge as well to the team. But what can we expect from this appointment and how soon are we likely to see anything dramatic? Well, I think people are kind of going to best know him as his long period as Roman Grosjean's race engineer at Lotus between 2012 and 2015. Followed Grosjean to Haas in 2016. He's been there ever since. Uh, head of trackside engineering was his role before he took the team principal uh, job. So he's, you know, he's been around for a very, very long time. Um, first joined F1 back in 2003 with BAR as a tyre test engineer. Um, during his studies at Loughborough University, he'd also worked with Takuma Sato. So they'd be reunited a little bit later uh, at the team as well. So long career in Formula One now, over 20 years. Um, he clearly feels that he's ready for the role. And as I said earlier, clearly very aligned with Gene Haas on the direction that the team wants to take. He thinks that he's the best man to kind of do a little with a lot um, with regards to resources. So it's something that, yeah, he's very, very clearly keen on doing, something that he's sort of very looking forward to do. And as I've said earlier as well, you know, it's going to be a very, very different dynamic as well because... Their demeanors are not the same. Good Steiner is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a superstar, and then Komatsu is, you know, he's a, he's one of the sort of wealth of technical engineers that that we have, that, and we're now starting to see take a bigger kind of post. We've had Andrea Stella and McLaren, um, Mike Crack as well has has been an engineer in, in DTM and, and F1 as well. Um, James Vowles as well at Williams. We're kind of seeing this new breed of engineers taking over. So. Um, I think with regards to how Formula One team works, they know basically everything from the outside in from a technical standpoint and from a, a commercial and sort of a personnel standpoint as well. So, you know, these people that have vast skill sets and I think swapping Steiner for, for somebody else, it brings something different. It, it might not necessarily be better. It might not necessarily be worse. It just bring it be a different vibe at the team. It's interesting you mentioned James Howes there because obviously the, tra the trend has been uh, to have a engineer team principal and then a figurehead working above them, around them together. That's what you've got on McLaren's, obviously so famously with Zach Brown and Andrea Stella. But Vowles kind of combines both roles, uh, which is interesting. But if you apply that then to what Haas are doing by promoting Komatsu, they, they already had it there. They could have had the engineer boss in him and the figurehead in Steiner. So now they're expecting the guy who isn't necessarily the most public-facing or I don't know, he's just not, he's just not been front and centre of things. He's going to have to, to learn how to do that. What was interesting, to, to, be, to, be, to be fair to him and to, and to encourage him, we were told that Andrea Stella and McLaren wasn't interested in doing the sort of media elements of it, of being a spokesperson in, in even in just the technical elements, right? And he's absolutely thrived. So potentially Komatsu uh, could do a similar thing there. Um, 
But what I would say about this sort of promote from within thing is he's clearly bought into Gene Hassey's expectations of trying to get trying to get more out of what the team has already got. So the question then rises from that is, has he just said what Gene Hass wanted to hear? Is, is, is that realistic that you can suddenly find something that you didn't have before, right? And it's interesting that, you know, Steiner's been fired for poor results. Well, Komatsu was part of the team since the start as well. Now, JBL, you and I had a conversation last night about his role. He's the head of trackside engineering. What was it you said? It was like trying to uh, operate a kit car without the manual? Well, something like that, yeah. Um, something insightful, I'm sure. Big, yeah, well, remember. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, we, we were in the hotel bar, so uh, obviously my memory's a little bit fuzzy. But yeah, head of trackside engineering, it's not... It's not necessarily, uh, it's not an entirely factory-based role. You don't know the inside out of the design. You're not that hands-on with it. As a trackside engineer, you get the car from the team and you've got to learn how to operate and how to work out how to get the best out of it at a given race, race weekend. So the failings of Haas on the design side, it's not been down to him. It's not something that he's had autonomy over. That said, it's something that he will understand as an engineer. So you'd hope that you know ooh, we spoke about kind of dual roles and that kind of thing hopefully he's kind of able to unite both sides of the the team the the race team and the factory kind of side of it and get the best out of it on you know what will be relatively limited resources compared to the bigger teams but the flip side of that is his job was to understand what was going wrong with what was put before him he then has input into how the, the say the next design or the forthcoming designs are coming so He's got to take ownership of, of that failing to a certain extent. Although I do, I do agree with you, obviously, you know, that he's, he's not physically designing uh, everything himself. Um, but just one thing I thought was, um, was quite interesting. I was really lucky uh, to be embedded with Haas a little bit at the British Grand Prix last year. So I was going into their sort of uh, pre and post session strategy debriefs. Uh, some of them, like the qualifying one, lasted two minutes. I was shocked at how pretty that went. Uh, but post race, you know, we were in there for nearly an hour listening to everything. And Komatsu ran the show. Like, Things didn't get going until he was there. Obviously, he's, he's the chief engineer. You'd, you'd expect that. But it was commanding in a way that really surprised me. So, for example, Steiner didn't say anything until after the race. Uh, and even that was because he was surprised. Basically, uh, Hulkenberg in particular was covered. His white race suit was covered in black brake dust because they were having a particular problem uh, at the British Grand Prix uh, with that issue. And he, sort of, he was like, look, we, I look like I've been down a coal mine. Uh, and Magnussen was, was the same sort of thing. And Steiner was like, hang on a minute, well, this isn't right. We need to get it fixed. And two days later, they did get it fixed. But what struck me was that it was very clearly uh, Komatsu's show. Uh, so so he's, he's going from, a, you know, he's got a basis to build from. But I still, you know, there are still questions over what his potential could be. Do you think there's going to be a change to the, the house business model and the way they go about their car designs and moving forward? Because they've had that profile for quite a long time of buying as much as they can of Ferrari and doing as little development on the car as they have to to be within the regulations of what they're required to do I was going to say it might be one for you for you because we're vastly uh we we disagree slightly on whether this was the right decision for the team but I'll go and say that the, the reason Steiner is leaving is because Haas wants to keep that model uh, he wants to persist with the BT model, as we call it, buy as many parts as it can from Ferrari, continue to use the Marinello facilities as much as, you know, uh, get his money's worth out of it. Because it means the team doesn't have to spend loads of money on building its own infrastructure, which is what Steiner wanted. Um, and for me, this kind of actually makes sense because we are living in a cost cap era. The less you spend, 
you know, on, on that kind of thing is more money that you can pour into performance and, and, and something tangible like that. It's not worked for Haas in the last couple of years, but I think Haas has, Gene Haas has seen that there have been inefficiencies, that there have been perhaps spend where it didn't need to be spent, putting money into places where it should be. And as we said earlier, Komatsu has kind of bought into that or it's maybe just said, uh, you know, told Haas what he wants to hear. Um, but I, I think this is kind of the crux of the matter. And we're seeing now with AlphaTauri as well, they're moving back towards that kind of model with Red Bull buying more in from, from what they can, uh, they, can, they can get there and moving into kind of the Red Bull campus to a certain degree as well. So they're moving in that direction and we sort of see their performance over the season go up and up and up. So it's that's the reason there's a model that can work again for a smaller team that's trying to do Formula One, not on a shoestring, but on a little bit less than you would do as a manufacturer team. I disagree in the sense that I don't know what Gene Haas is expecting. What's Aston Martin doing? It's spending lots of money. What's McLaren doing? It's investing in a new wind tunnel and new facilities. And yet, Haas did a very different thing when it came in. They get annoyed a lot of the other teams when it when it came in back in 2015-2016. But it it obviously isn't working, so something's got to change. Isn't it not the definition of stupidity? Just carrying, trying to do the same thing or or expecting the same thing from the same amount of resources or the same amount of investment? I don't know. I'm in love with the fight between you two. It's great. And I want to keep this going because I mean, we've sort of touched on it a fair bit. But Gene Haas, as we said, was, was adamant that he wants results to improve. Tenth wasn't good enough for him. But to make a change, okay, make a change if you want to make a change. But making a change so soon to the start of a brand new season, is it going to pay dividends? Is it going to fail? What do you think? Let's start with you, Alex, because I, I want to get this fight going. You should hear our discussions about whether JBL will ever give a driver 10 out of 10 in his driver ratings at the end of every race. He says no. Anyway, um, I think you've got to start by saying it's important to give every team the benefit of the doubt at this stage of the season. Obviously, you've got a big reset with an off-season. New cars are coming. There is the potential that anyone can make the leap. It's just that, unfortunately, history is not on any of their sides other than Red Bull. They go into the season as the overwhelming favourite, as I'm sure we'll come on uh, to talk about. Um and the problem is, is that I'm sort of told that Gene Haas doesn't expect his team to be last in Bahrain. And now obviously it was, they, it was all a bit up and down and they're in Q1 and out of Q1 and all that, also that's where they're finishing and those sort of positions come the race. Obviously we saw in qualifying the car was, was pretty good because it was overdoing it on its tyres. But considering that they massively updated their car with just a few races to go uh, at the end of last year, the lead times are so long in Formula 1 why is anyone expecting it to be any different given there are no regulation changes for this year? Again, let's use the McLaren as an example, right? I spoke to Zach Brown at the Las Vegas Grand Prix and he was uh, explaining again how it was things he was seeing at the 2022 French Grand Prix that started the process of we need to make changes within our technical structure. We need to do better. Again, a bit like House, we need to do better with what we've got, right? How long did it take for the for the team to, to be in a sort of positive getting positive results again. It took them nearly a year. The 2023 Austrian Grand Prix, that big car upgrade, they were very honest and open and say, look, we're going to be uh, off the pace or off the pace in terms of where we want to be at the start of 2023. We'll get there. If Haas is expecting things to change in this shorter period of time, I, don't, I, I, I just don't expect that to happen. 
I think if you look at it in terms of um, identifying that maybe the team isn't as running as efficiently as it probably could, then you have an opportunity to look at where you're spending, where you're allocating your resource and putting them in different positions. So I, I would argue that it's not necessarily just doing the same thing. It's just taking an idea that has worked in the past, not has, hasn't necessarily worked in the last couple of years, but trying to tweak it just to try and get a little bit more out of it. But at the end of the day, this is Gene Hass's personal project. Uh, he doesn't want it to fail, but obviously. Has it, but has it failed? Because... The whole point of Gene House coming into F1 was to sell more of his machine tooling then, units from Hash Automation. And that's been very successful. Exactly. So no, um, then it's, it's not a failure. But, you know, he doesn't want to see it. Why is he stacking Gunther Steiner on the basis of results then? I don't know. <laughs> is it technically a sacking as well? Sorry, I mean, is, a contract's not renewed. I was going to say, it's, it, well, obviously. It's potato, potato, right? But it is that kind of thing. Technically, it's not a, sta- a sacking, but he's not there anymore. So, yeah, it's, uh, we no longer wish to continue with your services. <laughs> but he, he doesn't want to see that the team that he's putting money into finish last. That's not going to, from a marketing standpoint, look good. You know, you don't want to be the CNC operator that has an F1 team that's the worst one. So, Making that uh, that change to the team principle at the end of the day, if it doesn't pay off, then you know it can always go and sell it to Andretti. But um, right, so this it's is worth doing. I'd say this is maybe the last thing to say about this is that it raises that question: what is going to happen to the future of the team now? Because I'm told that considering how much F1 teams are worth these days, nearing a, a billion pounds each, like individual franchises, team operations, however you want to phrase it, if Haas were to sell up to Andretti and Andretti were willing to pay that amount of money right apparently he'd get the money that he's invested back and make a profit so is that where this is going is that you know is, is, is that the different elements i think that there are once again it raises more questions by by doing something like this i don't think anybody would be that surprised if that is what were to happen in a, in a few years time um, let's move it on slightly though because i think we've, we've talked has a fair bit now and Gunter Stein and he will be missed he will be missed and hopefully he'll be on our screens in some form or other but if we move this on slightly then to 2024 the subject of this season ahead with several teams in 2023 you talked about it a few minutes ago Alex about how many teams did this so-called Red Bull clone thing over the course of the season over the course of the last year um, and they started to see the results improve because of it McLaren benefited from this but we're going to see more teams following on um, in 2024, as they did earlier on. Let's start with you, JBL. Well, I think it's, first of all, it's a matter of understanding that concept and why it's worked so well for Red Bull. And I think McLaren has done that. And you can clearly see everything that adds to the car is very, very inspired by what is already on the Red Bull, be it last year or next year. So clearly it's the prevailing trend and we're waiting on the big convergence to, to happen to, to give us kind of a bit more of an interesting season. And I think the easiest way to do that is to kind of mimic that concept. But there is a little bit more to it than just going, oh, this looks a bit similar. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's build that. You, you've got to understand empirically what the car is doing. Um, and it's, it goes just beyond what side pods you choose. It, it's how you operate your floor, what settings you operate your floor in, uh, all about testing different parameters and different characteristics as well. Um, to try and get the best out of it across the widest range of conditions uh, as well. Um, but the big thing as well that Red Bull has really paid attention to is suspension settings 
back in you know pre ground effect era um you know, uh, a former F1 technical director said to me something along the lines of, you know, everyone just uses pretty much the same suspension layout. It's all just aerodynamics now. Um, we've kind of perfected it. Now we're seeing loads of different settings, different layouts, different design trends just to try and get the best out of this floor across, you know, high speed, low speed, um, different, just hugely different characteristics of corners. Um, so it, it's such a sort of, big area that Red Bull has massively tapped into and I think teams try to cotton on to that as well um, because it's just so valuable you know what's underneath the car is now the most valuable thing on it so getting it to work in every condition possible that's that's where your performance is I'm right in saying there's no technical regulation changes other than like the little scoops to let some air in for the drivers right just a little scoop just a little scoop okay well hopefully that'll avoid like a Qatar situation where you've got drivers throwing up in their cockpits things like that just to keep them a little bit cooler but in a way that raises expectations because if you've got no rule changes and in theory the, the the field will close up uh, a lot more and again where does that expectation come up we've already talked about mclaren what about mercedes and ferrari considering the changes that they already went through with changing the sidepod shapes now they're able to change things like suspension and the the, the more embedded car architecture really intrigued to see what designs they come out with and what's very interesting is thing there's already noises coming out of ferrari that it's maybe not all about the suspension things which is odd because red bull have literally come out and been like this is what we decided to concentrate on we decided to make a nice stable platform that doesn't overdo things uh, on the tires so that makes me think oh what's ferrari going to do is it going to be something completely different again or is it just that they haven't got the the, the understanding on, on sort of the path that the red bull is on um, but yeah, those, those two, again, it's, again, it sort of comes down to resources, right? They are the biggest teams. They had the, the or, or so, yeah, they were in the previous eras. They had all that expectation. They've got all that history. So that, that's, that's where there's going to be a lot of, a lot of interest in February come, uh, come the, uh, presumably still black Mercedes and obviously the, obviously the red Ferrari. Because I think as well, um, They'll, they'll enhance those concepts as well because what we saw in 2023 it was like super limited by the infrastructure they already had in place the chassis design that they already produced so it was a bit of a halfway house with what the mercedes had what the ferrari had so the fact that they're able to optimize move their internals to where they need them to be to make the most of it as well that's going to be the key thing and then as i mentioned earlier alpha tauri moving a little bit closer to what rebel has done um how close do they work together the veracity of that has been kind of questioned, particularly in Abu Dhabi amongst the team principals when AlphaTauri bolted on a new floor and immediately was brilliant in the slow speed sections, which is where Red Bull has struggled, isn't it, Alex? Well, yeah, upset, upset McLaren, let's put it that way. They, yeah. they were sort of leading the... I was trying to be a bit more veiled about it. but <laughs> Well, and, Andreas, Dele, Andreas Dele came out and said it, you know, where, suddenly that suddenly the, the AlphaTauri went from being one of the worst in the slow corners uh, to, to in his words, uh, the best in the slow corner. So that that's what the the other teams are concerned about them uh, working closely together. Red Bull, for its part, says we're completely within the rules. I mean, yeah, again, it's it's, it's another factor in the sort of the, the Haas decision, Haas uh, decision with Steiner going, um, because other teams are making changes, and and AlphaTauri and Haas, they're on, they're all in that sort of group. So that it was you know, a sort of a fear element in 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 in, in Ithas gonna be left behind, I guess. What is your gut instinct though? I mean you've got both been around this for a fair bit of time, you know, in and out of the paddock talking to different people. You must have a, a gut feeling of what you're hearing and what you're expecting. Let's start with you, Alex. 
in terms of who's going to win. Yeah, car development, who's going to have made the biggest uh, inroads? I mean, maybe this brings us on to coming back to McLaren again. They obviously made a lot of progress last year and therefore you would say, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the evidence is on their side because they've proved they can do it and they did it at the more recent time compared to Aston Martin. Aston Martin also made a huge uh, leap last year in the off-season, but it all tailed off. So for the green team, it's all about keeping things consistent, making sure they can develop the car over the course of the season. Um, but with with with, uh, with McLaren, um, that raises expectations that it's going to make further subsequent progress. But it was really interesting talking to Stella and Brown in Vegas and, and listening to them in Abu Dhabi as well. They made a big thing about we're very honest, we're very open. Stella says, I don't gain anything if I try and mislead the media, if I try and mislead the fans and the public and, and, and things like that. So we've got to take, um, take them at their word, right? And there's sort of weird negative noises coming out at the end of last season. I think uh, uh, you think about uh, Lando Norris blowing a potential shot at pole position at the, on, on, on the last runs in, in Abu Dhabi. Stella was saying, well, hang on a minute. Why is that happening? Why is that, you know, there were problems in Qatar where the team thought they were going to do uh, very well. Have we introduced something on the car that has made this a bit unpredictable that a driver who his style is as on the edge as it is with Norris, is, is that, is that, has that become problematic? So that's what they're work, you know, working to understand this offseason uh, to, to see if that is the case and, and where they can build on that. Um, but the other thing that I thought was really interesting about McLaren, and it is, again, it's a bit sort of, oh, let's take a step back a little bit, is that Zach Brown would say, look, our new wind tunnel was only just come online midway through last year. These things, again, we talked about the long lead times. They take a long time to take effect. So he's already saying, it's all in place now. We just got to get it working and, 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 and getting used to things. More thinking about 2025. So that, that's not good if we're going to take them at their word as, as they sort of are, are urging us to do. So, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of you, you, you want to expect a lot of McLaren, but... At the same time, mm, that, that's, a, that's a little concern for me. I think um, looking at Aston Martin last year as well, towards the end of the year, they put a lot of weird experiments on the car. I think they were trying sort of like 2024 setups and that kind of thing. And, and nothing really seemed to pay off. And we saw in, uh, in the US, in Mexico, they had to roll back on upgrades, um, take pit lane stars for the race because they'd made all of these wild changes to try and perhaps see something in the data. Uh, the porn starts. Tom McCulloch said maybe we shouldn't have done it so publicly to try and change all of these things and get ready for 2024. But I think when they came into the season so successfully and were so strong through Fernando Alonso and then kind of tried tailed off a little bit, upgrades perhaps didn't work as they planned. Speculation about the front wing, uh, the front, the, the nose as well, um, not being particularly, uh, let's say, within the letter of the regulations and having to be beefed up a little bit. Um it did sort of fall backwards a little bit. So I think trying to understand that, stem the bleeding a little bit and then get back to the the, the trajectory that was already on. Um, I think that'll be vastly important for that team. Um, you know, Fernando Alonso seems very, very happy there and, and to see him in contention for a victory a little bit more than last year. I think Monaco was the only real chance of that happening. Um, if he, you know, got win number 33 I think a lot of people would like to see that so I think you know Aston should be should be in a good place obviously cannot discount Mercedes and Ferrari development so say it earlier you know they'll have the infrastructure in place now to you know go kind of full focus with what the, what they wanted to do with their cars um the zero pods didn't work Ferrari's sort of 
big beefy 1990 style side pods weren't the way to go either so um yeah hopefully they understand the concepts that do work we get some conversions and we get a good season um i, I think everyone in this room will be hoping for that i'm gonna go slightly off piste here and ask you both a question of start with you alex we've seen over the last formula one's always had it but we've seen over the last few years certain drivers being fairly outspoken outside of the team about the team's performance lewis hamilton being one are we going to see that in 2024 if the changes that happen within these teams do not bring about the results that someone like lewis hamilton is demanding from mercedes i think that's a really good example because there was a little bit of briefing going on towards the the end of last year from the mercedes camp that it you sort of it it's it struck a weird tone in the fact that like the team finished second in the championship like that's on the paper that's a that's a good result and there's perhaps a little bit of frustration that it's not just Lewis Hamilton it's Toto Wolff as well being like this is unacceptable the car's terrible it's not where we want to be I think so I think there's sort of a bit of message management that's going on there that they want to say you know the second's not too bad but I absolutely disagree with that I think Wolf and Hamilton are completely right I mean I know sorry I know it's ridiculous but it's Ricky Bobby right if you're not if you're not if you're not first, you're last. I mean that, that's ultimately Where's the accent? Do you have no absolutely no you're dressed like an American. You should you shouldn't do <laughs> Sorry, no. For those listening, by the way, JBL's wearing um some sort of tan coloured shoe, black jeans and, uh, and a very fetching jumper. Thank you. He didn't say that backstage, did you? Whereas Alex is dressed up like a very, very high class gentleman. Thank you. You're very welcome. I just thought I'd no, never this. said that before. Yeah, and those who are watching this thinking, no, he's not. <laughs> but they carry on. Sorry. And, and they'd be quite right, especially with this ridiculous haircut. But there we go. Um, if, if, if Lewis Hamilton isn't winning again this year, the message is still going to be the same. And fair enough. I, I want to hear drivers talking like that. I appreciate it when they, when they do say things like that. And I think that it's the same with Max Verstappen, right? He... he he speaks his mind when he wants to. He doesn't always. I think there's this, he's got this straight-talking reputation. And he does talk straight when he wants to. JBL, certain drivers are out of contract at the end of 2024. Now, we aren't even into the season just yet, so maybe it's a bit too early to be talking silly season, but people like Sergio Perez and Alonso, their contracts are up. Is it too early to start talking about the drivers that are waiting in the wings? Well, this is my favourite subject because I'm massively looking forward to this year's silly season. I'm not. I know you're not. Debbie Downer over here, but uh, I am Bryn, and uh, I'll tell you why. Um, yes, you're right. We, we've only got five or six drivers that are under contract for, for, for you know, 2025 and beyond. Um, we've got Max Verstappen contracted to the end of 2027. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell both contracted to the end of 2025. Uh, 2028 for 2028 for Verstappen. Okay, uh, and then Piastri is contract 2026, and Norris 25. I shouldn't have regretted you. I yeah, you should have done that. Norris is definitely 25. All the regrets. Um, so those are the only only ones that are locked in. We're expecting that Charles Leclerc might sign another Ferrari deal. How long term that will be, we don't necessarily know at this moment in time. But everything else, open fair game. Sergio Perez is Red Bull seat, um, and Aston Martin drives. Uh, the Ferrari seat potentially if Carlos Sainz doesn't re-sign. Um, Alex Albon getting a good seat again. Uh, there's so much potential here. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, and people are going to be looking forward to what engines people are going to have in 2026. 
how far developed those are as well. We've got six powertrain suppliers in 2026, all of various stages of their development. And that's going to be an important bargaining chip for, for teams that want a certain driver in their pack. If, you know, um, let's just say, for example, that one powertrain supplier isn't doing a particularly good job at the moment. It's like, well, why, why would I want to drive for you when Mercedes or Ferrari or somebody is looking pretty decent? Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think... The pieces are on the table. They're ready to be played. And I'm looking forward to seeing kind of which order they get played in. Right. Here's why JBL is wrong. <laughs> Defi- perhaps in the, in, the, in the lower half of the field, so midfield towards the back, there might be a, a, a fair bit of churn. But from the front, at the front, I, I don't see any change whatsoever. I think the Sergio Perez situation will get all of the focus. If he delivers, things will stay the same at Red Bull. Why would you, why would you change your winning position? If he doesn't, we basically already know what the plan is, that Daniel Ricciardo gets his seat back. So that's, 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 all, that's, all, that's all wrapped up at Red Bull. McLaren, as we've already discussed, the two drivers are locked down. Mercedes, Hamilton and Russell have re-signed for the next two years. The noise is coming out of Italy is that Leclerc's going to be offered a new contract. And then why would you, why would you get rid of Sainz when you know, they're so closely matched uh, and things like that? So uh, Aston Martin, yeah, he is an interesting one because obviously you've got that, all that talk about uh, Lance Stroll is he just even deserving of a seat in F1 especially when the sort of when the car was working at the start of last year he was closer to Alonso right even obviously the risk situation wouldn't have helped that but when the car needed just wrestling and needed to be you know grabbed by the scruff of the neck it was Alonso that did it so there's a big there's there's bigger question marks of that team I, I do concede that but I don't think Lawrence Stroll was giving up on this idea of like the, the projects of making Lance into a world champion and Alonso, I, is he is he is he really going to step away? I don't know. I, it's like I still think he's going to see it out until the start of the of the of the next uh, 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 rules era. And where better to do that at a team where he's very well paid, very well loved? So I don't know. I, the the only thing that I could, and I, I would like to see this happen just because it would be tremendously interesting, is that Red Bull finally gets to sign Lando Norris. They'd have to pay to do that. No, the te- the people have been talking about how. Uh, we will, we know he's been on record. Christian Horn has spoken about, about the uh, at least two, maybe three occasions that Norris uh, they sort of, they sounded him out, let's say, and then I think one of what was his his line was, like, oh, then the next day he went and signed a new McLaren contract. Well, my understanding is that they've not given up hope of ever signing him. There's always been a little, maybe it's like in the background, the odd word in the paddock, Helmut Marco, you know, things like that. But if they're really, if they're if they're if they're really done with Perez. It would be an amazing thing to see them put their money where their mouth is. They have a lot of that, have a lot of uh, a, you know, stuff about them to shake things up. And they have the money. They could buy Norris out of his McLaren contract. And that, that would make a very interesting silly season. But I do want to come back to something you just said. If Sergio Perez has a successful season, what is a successful season for Perez realistically? Finishing second to Max Verstappen at every race and winning the races that Verstappen is unable to, uh, and he did that at the start of the year in 2023. And then, as we always said consistently in autosport, wait until they get to the higher speed venues that Verstappen likes, where you're not on, uh, you know, 90 degree corners, uh, street tracks, where drivers that prefer an understeering car like Perez does. Once you get ready, once you get out of that territory, Verstappen's going to be on another planet, and so it came to be. I think Perez. He got, as, as we know, Horner basically admitted it. He got in his head too much about the potential for maybe winning a world title because he'd won two races, Verstappen had won two races, and it all, it all went wrong from there. But 
Red Bull's not stupid at all. He's aware of the danger that if he doesn't have a second driver up there and performing, the other teams could nip in ahead. And Red Bull have already lost the World Championship because of that exact uh, scenario, the Constructors' Championship in 2021. So I do think that Perez has it in his own hands, in his own destiny. But I also think if things don't, if things carry on down the same path as they were at the end of the year, or, or mid, sort of midway, no, a quarter of the way through to three quarters of the way through 2023, that awful middle bit of the year in, if that returns, I think Red Bull will act and act decisively. JBL, I do want to come in on what you said as well on that silly season, because you mentioned drivers changing positions and you mentioned current F1 drivers, current Formula 1 drivers that are in seat at the moment, changing to go to different teams. But what about those waiting in the wings that haven't got a seat? Someone like Liam Lawson that we saw last year do such a fantastic job when he got the opportunity. Yeah, Liam was fantastic. I mean, got into, thrown into the car with zero testing, scored you know ninth at uh, uh, Singapore with a r- brilliant drive. Did have experience of Suzuka as well and race, you know, Yuki Tsunoda really hard um, in, in the opening lap. So I think watching him last year, brilliant super sub outings. And he, I think I think he's earned a seat in F1. He showed that he belongs. Um, he showed that he can be thrown in the deep end and he's done a, he's done a brilliant job. So it, it does depend on basically, we're using this word churn a lot. I quite like it. It depends what the lower midfield churn is like. And if there is a spot at Alpha Tower available for him, if Ricardo moves uh, to Red Bull, if, if that Perez situation happens, then that's a nice seat for him to land in. Um, but we've also got, you know, Felipe Drogovic, we've got Teo Porsche, both F2 champions kind of sitting on the sidelines as reserve drivers, both waiting for their opportunities. Um, and then there's some, you know, very, very talented young drivers as well. There's uh, Oli Behrman, who's a, a Ferrari young driver um, in F2 as well. I think a lot of people are excited about Kimi Antonelli, who's a, a Mercedes young driver. There's there's some really exciting talent out there, and it's interesting. To see, it'll be interesting to see how kind of it's nurtured over the season, what opportunities they get with uh, free practice drives, um, and you know, obviously, some of these young drivers are their job is step in the car if the lead driver is out, like Lawson did this year. That's your opportunity to impress, and if they do it like he did, then they've got an opportunity too. To bring it full circle, to know who loves Oli Behrman, Haas including Ayo Kamatsu. Very, very impressed with him when he stepped into the car for those FP1 outings. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's something to keep an eye on in the future. You little tinker. You're throwing that in at the last second. Now, before we wrap this up, we are only a few short weeks away, really, to the start of the season. What are you both looking forward to the most in 2024 Formula One season? I don't care what else is going on in your lives. <laughs> Formula One only. Nothing no, else is happening. Obviously. <laughs> Alex, start with you. I actually, and again, this is a nice opportunity uh, to plug something else we're doing at Autosport in the magazine this week. He's, he's, we've got a feature which is literally this. What are we looking forward to in the 2024 season? It covers all of motorsport. JBL and I have done uh, F1 entries or F1 specific entries. And my one uh, is about Oscar Piastri. I'm really intrigued to see his second season. And there's a little bit, my thinking was a little bit of like, because we did our top 10 rankings for the end of the year, right? And Piastri was ninth, wasn't he, JBL? And George Russell was eighth. And I got a little bit of feedback from a, a media colleague, like, oh, I would have had them the other way around. And I thought, oh, did we, did we do that wrong? And I think, well, I'd, I'd st- well, it's too late now. We can't change it. But I'd stick to that because I think Russell was seriously impressive at times last year, considering, you know, he was going up against uh, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, but too many errors, obviously. 
maybe I did. Maybe we did treat Piastri a little bit harshly in terms of that ranking because he was absolutely amazing as a rookie driver and just so calm, unflappable. He's got a very calm driving style, which is a good basis for him potentially correcting the sort of one big area where he was weak compared to Norris last year, which was tire management in races and the fact that if he's got a smooth style, he's not going to be over-energizing particularly the front tires and things and things like that so yeah I'm, I'm really excited to see uh where piastri can go because there's a lot of talk about how a driver an f any f1 driver if they haven't shown what they've got within three years that's they've had their chance right that was always the the franz toss toro rosso alpha tower red bull uh uh approach piastri's already shown that so he's i'm sure he's only onwards and upwards i mean i'm sure i've just cursed him and i hope i haven't but uh but yeah that's, that's what i'm looking forward to I'm just looking forward to get a suntan in Bahrain. Um, no, honestly, um, if we get convergence, if we get other teams producing strong cars, I think we can honestly have a good seat. I think Red Bull will still be the strongest team. But I think this isn't going to be as one-way traffic as 2020. God, am I really saying that I'm looking forward to a season being slightly better than last year? Uh, I think I might be, but... Um, I think we'll just have to wait and see. Um, hopefully, everybody is, uh, you know, understanding these regulations now. Hopefully, everybody is getting their head around them. I'm hoping for some good battles, good fights. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm just here as an F1 fan, and uh, I'd quite like to get going again. Well, you know, you know what the answer is, and it's something that I'm looking forward to. Is that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing someone other than Max Verstappen winning a race because. Yes, That's, we interesting start. We, we alternate races, right? So we 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 you know uh, we do the same. It's the two sides of the same coin in terms of our uh, reporting for Autosport magazine and analysing the sort of sporting side of it. So I'll go to one race, JBL goes to another. It was the same when our colleague uh, Matt Q was uh, was in JBL's position, and uh, basically that means that obviously obviously we could only see fifty percent of the races in person, right? The last time I saw anyone other than Max Verstappen win a race I attended was the 2022 British Grand Prix and Carlos Sainz winning. So clearly, 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 I'm, I, 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 I'm the problem. But uh, but yeah, I would really like, as much as I admire Max Verstappen for all his incredible success, just seeing someone else win, that'd be great. I can't wait to see your suntan, JBL, after you've gone to Bahrain. That, that is it for this podcast. Thank you very much, Jens. So just as we say, a, a few short weeks away from the start of the season, and I'm certain there'll be some curveballs thrown at us in the next few weeks but we're really really eager to see the start of the Formula 1 season get underway we also really want to thank the fans here by the way that have stayed around watching this uh, this podcast be recorded and we want to thank Autosport International and the NEC for having us here and allowing us to host this live edition I want to thank two more people I've thanked a lot of people right now but I want to thank these two Alex Kalanokas and Jake Boxall-Lake for giving us their expert opinion whether you agree or not that is their opinion. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.